You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we are looking at part 2 this, me- this morning of a message we began last week entitled Stewards of This Gospel, Stewards of This Gospel. So Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to look together again at the first 13 verses, but really the second part um, of the passage that we began last week. And the main truth that we are after, just want to remind you of this, it will be on the screen before you. The main truth is that the church holds the gospel in sacred trust. The church holds the gospel in sacred trust in this generation for the world and for every generation to come. We have a certain responsibility to hold tight, to hold fast to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and to do so for the sake of this generation the world and the generations that are to come. And so we've been studying through the gospel. We know what the gospel is. We, we've been studying what it means to follow Jesus and, and what it means for God to have done something from eternity past for our sakes in that He sent His Son and, and that He, He gave His life on, on the cross for us and that He was raised to life three days later. These are profound truths, simple as they may be, and yet they are a part of an eternal plan where, where God has been doing immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine. And so in Ephesians 3, Paul says, for this reason, and he builds what he's about to say on the weightiness of the gospel that he's just told us about. And what he does is he argues for the sake of personal responsibility. He, he feels a certain weight on himself for the sake of the Ephesians. And we read this last week. He said, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And he describes that being given to him as a stewardship. It's a responsibility for these Ephesian believers, but at the same time, it's a stewardship given to him by someone who's greater than him. It's a stewardship of of something that is far more than he could ultimately ever control himself. It's something that God has given, and that is the, the stewardship of the gospel. And so he uses this word steward describing one who's been given something to, to be in charge over it or to care for it on behalf of another. It ultimately belongs to God, this gospel that he's been given, and yet he is a steward. 
And I shared with you last week the illustration of money or children or things that we have. These, these things are given to us by one who owns them all and one who gives the gift. And, and so we parent and we use our resources and anything else you can think of because we know that we belong to the Lord and the things that we have are not our own. They're His. It's what it means to be a steward. But Paul is applying that stewardship to the gospel and effectively is telling us, saying to us, that the gospel is given to the church as a sacred trust. And we hold on to the gospel for the sake of the world and for every generation that comes after us. In other words, to say it this way, we have a gospel stewardship. The gospel came to us. We have the gospel today because someone else in the past took that responsibility seriously. The only reason you even know Christ is because the church for 2,000 years, God has used by His sovereign plan to bring salvation to the lost through the preaching of the church. And so we have become recipients of this gospel and we ultimately carry this gospel to the world. Before we dive into the text, I was listening to a podcast this week and it was brought up the passage in Matthew chapter nine. I think that you're probably familiar with it, but the passage about the harvest being plentiful, everybody kind of know the passage that I'm talking about. And and Jesus is talking about souls, that there's all kinds of people out there that are in need of Jesus and not that are just in need of Jesus, but People who are willing to come to faith in Christ if they will hear us preach the gospel. That's what Jesus meant about the harvest being white. And and so he was sharing about a pastor who shares that scripture every Sunday at the end of the service. And he says to his people that there is not the, the reason there is a lack of baptisms in the church at any point is not because of a lack of people, but also to, to share Jesus with, but ultimately because of a lack of workers. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And I began thinking about us and the sacred trust that we have of the gospel. And I began thinking about sometimes the discouragement that you and I face looking around and not seeing as many people as we would like to see in our morning worship services and the discouragement that happens. And I want to just say to you this morning that if we hold this gospel as a sacred trust based on the authority of this passage There is not a lack of people in this room because there are a lack of people who want Jesus. There is a lack of people in this room and baptisms in our waters because there is a lack of workers who are willing to go out and work the field. And if we would grab hold of the reality that we hold this gospel in our hands as a treasure to do with it as the one who gave it pleases, then we would not have a lack of harvest. And so it is in this generation that the church holds this gospel for the world and for every generation to come. Ephesians chapter three. We're going to look at the second part of the passage this morning. If you found your place in God's word, let me invite you to stand with me, giving honor to its reading. Uh, Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse one. Paul writes, for this reason, I, Paul, A prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, 
you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to us, his holy apostles and to the prophets by his spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, who am who, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Lord, I pray, I pray this morning as we look again to your word that we would be strengthened and that we will be instructed in how we were to live our lives as Christians. God, we do have an amazing gospel, the reality that you would give the life of your only son for us, the enemies of God, us who are under your wrath. God, we would receive through grace that we would receive your forgiveness Because of the blood of your son, God, it is an amazing, amazing reality. And I pray this morning that if there is one who's never trusted in Christ today, that today would be the day of salvation. Oh, how much you have purchased for them. May they respond in repentance and faith toward you. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded as your church that we have the greatest treasure in all the world. And it's not something that we can sit on. And hold just for ourselves. But it is something that you have called us to go forth and proclaim to the world. So may we understand by your grace this morning the call in our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. So as we looked at last week, just to kind of remind you of some things, uh, as we looked at this this picture of being gospel stewards or uh, those who hold the gospel in a sacred trust, we looked at a particular lens or one particular lens, and there are three of them, by the way, through which we ought to understand this gospel as, as a sacred trust or as a stewardship. In the first part of the passage, we are stewards of the gospel by the word of God. That's how we received the uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says that we cannot even begin to respond to the gospel until we have heard the gospel through the word. The word faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And, and so this is exactly what Paul teaches us here in verse three. Notice that the mystery that he's describing, the gospel, was made known to him, to me, by revelation. Somebody had to bring it to him. And we have that revelation through the the revealed word, God's holy word. 
He said that to the Ephesian church also that they were going to read this and, and that they would be able to perceive the, the, the knowledge or the understanding that Paul had. So the Ephesian church, having read the letter from the revelation of, of God, now they're able to see this gospel too. They're, they're able to understand and know more about what God has done. The word revealed to Paul and then to the Ephesian church. And then after that, to millions of believers throughout church history, and it is now the word that we hold in our hands. We are stewards of the gospel because we have the word of God. And the Bible teaches us, Paul shows us, that through that word, the sinner can become a son. The banished, those who are spiritually outcasts, can actually belong to the body of Christ. The poor, those who are spiritually bankrupt, can receive the promises of God. All because we have, we have come to know the gospel through the word of God. I don't know if you really sense this morning how unique of a privilege that is for you and I to have a copy of God's word in our very hands. Even until 500 years ago, not everyone had a copy of God's word in their homes. Not until we began to see the Bible mass produced and, and then it was slow to happen. In countries across the world, there are places where people don't have Bibles in their own language. There are places where the Bible is illegal to even own or to read. There are stories all about how people get pages smuggled into their country. Small pages of the Bible where they can just begin to pick up bits and pieces. You don't know how privileged you are to have this treasure and to have heard the gospel through this Bible. And it was preserved more than 2,000 years, including the Old Testament, more than 2,000 years for you to know Jesus. It's an amazing privilege. And so we hold this gospel as a stewardship. And yet, this is not the only lens through which we should understand our stewardship of the gospel. Paul begins the, the thought really that he began in verse 1. And he, he picks that thought back up in verse 7 where we're focusing on this morning. So he says in verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Then he goes on to unpack that stewardship and he comes back to in verse 7 talking about this gospel. He says of this gospel, I was made a minister. Interesting how he he exchanges those two words in the first part of the passage. He makes himself a, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, one who is serving him as as almost a slave and and stewarding this this great treasure in the gospel that God has given him for the sake of the Gentiles. He comes back and he exchanges that word in verse seven for a different word, not the word steward and not the word prisoner, but the word minister. In other words, as you read this word and he picks up the thought again, he is saying that essentially minister is the same as steward and prisoner. So to be a steward of the gospel, to be a steward of the gospel is to be a minister of the gospel. And we've already established that that stewardship was not something that Paul alone understood for himself, but something he was passing along to the church. And so 
to be a steward, if we're really stewards of the gospel, it means that we're going to be ministers of the gospel. Now, of course, Paul is specifically talking about himself as a minister. I was made a minister of the gospel. And so, yes, he's he's speaking of the word minister in terms of an office. But the function, the function he goes on to apply to the church. Why? Because him making known the gospel as a minister is the same thing that the church is going to do over in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the function He sees it as the same. My function as a minister of the gospel is to make known the gospel to the Gentiles, to the church at Ephesus. But your function, Ephesian believers, is to now make known the gospel as well. So though there is an office called minister, there is a sense in which every single member of the body of Christ is now a minister or a steward of the gospel. This is so incredibly helpful. But we are tempted, aren't we? We are tempted to, to hear that phrase and go, no, no, pastor, I, I, I'm no minister. You're the minister. I, I don't qualify as a minister. I don't want that responsibility. That's not me. I, I'm just going to live my life as a normal person. Well, there's a problem with that. Because the Bible makes very clear that every one of us are. Think about it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is what believers are called across Asia Minor and applying to us. He says, Peter writes to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So what does he say? He says, we're a priesthood. So he's just called you priests. And he says, the purpose of your being saved is that you might proclaim the excellencies of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That sounds like ministry to me. And he says about every believer. Romans 15. Paul writes to the church in Rome. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness Filled with all knowledge, listen, and able to instruct one another. The word instruct is to teach. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he goes on. And the point he's making, he's making a distinction. There's not a whole lot of difference in function. The church is still teaching one another. The minister is teaching the church. And yet this this function, the only difference he draws is that there is an office called minister. But the function of the office essentially is given to all believers in that we are to instruct one another, namely in the book that we have been given that holds the gospel or right here in our own letter that we've been looking at right here in Ephesians, you can. Flip over one chapter in chapter four and you'll see it. The Bible says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And why did he give them not to do the work of the ministry, although they do 
And although that is a function of the call, but rather to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So we are ministers. To be a steward is to be a minister of the gospel. And this is incredibly helpful. Why? Because as we look at God's word, we see an incredible picture of what it means to be a steward. Not just something that, that we now hold the gospel and, and we keep it like some kind of a cupbearer or a, a guard and we want to make sure that nothing happens to it, but rather we get a few pictures of what it looks like. Just by looking at Ephesians, we see in the first three chapters that we should know the gospel. We should know it. If you are a minister of the gospel, you should know the gospel, and that's all of us. We should be students of the word. We also should live the gospel. Chapters 4 through 6, we see that we're to live out this gospel in our marriages and in our parenting and in the new life as we walk in a way that's worthy of the gospel, as we walk as the church in unity. We, we ought to live our lives in a way that is consistent with the gospel. And so as a minister, if you're a steward of the gospel, you should know it and live it. But then you should also teach it. And I think that that principle is crystal clear here and throughout other places in Scripture. You should be teaching others the gospel. Maybe it's teaching in VBS. Maybe it's teaching a a connect group. Maybe it's teaching in a discipleship group. Or maybe it's just teaching your own children. But certainly all of us have the responsibility, if you're a believer, to teach the gospel. And there is a certain sense in which we should be proclaiming the gospel. What do I mean by that? The difference between teaching and proclaiming is the reality of lostness. There's... Bunches of people, thousands of people in Walton County alone who need the gospel. More in Peru that we just talked about this week. There's people all over the planet that need the gospel of Christ. And it is not the burden of pastors alone or missionaries alone to take the gospel to the nations. It is the duty of the church to take the gospel to the nations. And you and I have a responsibility in our workplace, in our homes, in our community, and across to the nations. We have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel Every single place that we go. It is a stewardship. And so Paul says these are the responsibilities of of gospel followers. People who follow Jesus. And those who hold the gospel as a stewardship. I think that the church has a distorted view of our responsibility to do these things when it comes to comparing them to pastors. Or maybe what we would call professional Ministers, because for some reason we think that the pastor is the only one called to do these things or the missionary is the only one called to do these things. Now, if the reason is that we don't see our responsibility or see the the responsibility as applying to us, well, we've already covered that. We've already dealt with that in in Scripture, and so we can all agree, based on the authority of God's Word, that it is the duty of every single believer. But Paul addresses a different concern, and perhaps maybe a more common concern. Certainly it was this concern here in Ephesus. I think the the reason, if, if you heard it as an objection, would sound something like this. But you're Paul. I I can't preach the gospel. I I can't teach the gospel. I can't know what you know. You have so much more knowledge than me, more skill. You have God's favor on your life. God has called you to this. 
You see, I think that the objection that is on our hearts and our minds so often is not the lack of responsibility, but a feeling of inability. You follow me? We feel like I just can't. I don't have the right words. I don't have the right knowledge. And this is where we get to the second lens in the passage. The first lens was having the word, but don't miss the second lens. Verse 8, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints. He says, I'm the least. In other words, don't get a puffed up view of me. Don't get this concept in your mind that somehow I, Paul, am somebody greater than you and and able to do more than you. I am the least of all of the saints, he says. There is nothing in me of any worth or value or ability outside of what God has done in my life. I am less than all of you, he says. And then he says the key word, verse 7, this grace was given me. He says it again, uh, in, 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 or that was verse 8, he says it again in verse 7 beforehand, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And I, I really want you to get this this morning. We are stewards of the gospel through the grace of God. We have the gospel because of God's grace and God's grace alone. Amen? Amen. It's by God's grace that we are what we are. We've received great grace, haven't we? I mean, think about if God had held against you all that you have done, all of your choices, all of your wrong, all of your sin against the holy God. Think about if God were to hold all of those things against you. If only for your thoughts, we would spend an eternity in a place called hell forever separated from God. If that were us and there's so many more things, some of you like me, you can just sit and make a list of all of the things you've done wrong. And you say with Paul, I'm a wretched sinner. There is nothing in me that God would have chose me. And yet God did. This is grace. Amen. That God would choose to save us. Beyond that, we've been enabled by God's grace. Everything that He calls us to do in salvation, sharing the, the, the gospel with our neighbor, loving our children, being in a difficult marriage and sharing Jesus with our spouse, sharing Jesus with our coworker, living on mission, even what, what Cody and his wife are doing, selling everything and moving to Peru just so he could tell Peruvians about Jesus. This, these kinds of things we are enabled to do by grace. You don't just, you don't just give up everything that you have. For the sake of Jesus without the Spirit of God enabling you to do so. And we are a debtor to grace. I I think about the song, Come Thou Fount, and and the words continue to resonate in my mind. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. We, We don't owe God anything, and yet we owe God everything. He gave what He gave as a free and precious gift. And yet we, because He gave, we are compelled to now live for Him. Paul says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that Christ is the one that compels us to live for the sake of the gospel. It's not of us. It's totally of God. That should deal with our pride, shouldn't it? When our pride says, it's not my responsibility, it's somebody else's job. When our pride says, I'm too scared, I don't have the right answers. When our pride says all of those things, grace deals with our pride and says, you're right, but God does. 
It deals with our doubts. Whenever we just simply don't know if we could share Jesus because we may get lost or stumble over the words or somebody might think ill of us or whatever other excuse that we can come up with. It deals with our doubt because grace compels us. There is no room whenever it's the grace of God alone that sustains us. There's no room to doubt anything because when we doubt, we're actually doubting the God who called us. And there's no room for apathy. Because a God who would give His only Son is not a God that you can turn your face against and say no to. So if it is our responsibility and God has given given us everything that we need to be a minister of the Gospel, then we ought to do so with all of the strength that we can muster. But know this, that even along the way, it is still the grace of God that will continue to work that out in our lives. And so Paul, Paul explains that. He goes on to say, verse 7, he goes on to teach us that it is a grace that's given to us, given to Him and us by the working of His power. So three things we should understand about this grace in our lives. Number one, we are enabled by His power. We are enabled by His power. God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. All God acting in our lives. Him giving us His grace. You and I live every day by His power. Certainly, that is true for the Christian life. I don't know how many of you in this room claim the name of Jesus. There may be some of you in this room who you say, I, I, I'm not a Christian. And, but I want to, I want to, I want to say this to Christians in this room right now that if, if you think you can live the Christian life, a life of obedience to Jesus, a life of turning away from sin, repenting and confessing daily, living according to the pattern that Jesus set for us and the commands that He's given us. If you think you can do that in the flesh, you are, you are tragically mistaken. You will never in your own strength be able to obey Christ and what He's called you to do. It's too hard. I hear that all the time. I hear that from Christians. Well, I know what God wants me to do, but I just don't know how. It's just too hard. I can't do it. And you have gotten step one or maybe part A of the whole truth. And that is that we must come to the place that we realize we have no strength. We have no merit. We have no ability in and of ourselves. If you try to live the Christian life in your flesh, you will fail. We need the power of God in our life every single day in order to live in obedience to Christ. You see, the the reality of living in obedience to Christ is one part discipline, the other part surrender. Part of us is is giving up all of the things that, that we once Walked in and, and trying with everything that we are to, to live the life that Christ has called us to. And so that's discipline. But the surrender part is to say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. It's whenever temptation comes to, to begin to just cry out to the Lord and God, would you, would you keep me by your power? God, I cannot withstand this temptation on your own, but you promised that no temptation has overtaken me that is not common to man, but you've provided a way out. And, and so God, I need your power to be able to walk away from this temptation in my life. But Paul specifically talks about the mission or the, the ministry for these believers. It's a, a power that we have 
grace given to him to this power in order to be witnesses for Christ. And Jesus promised it. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That this power would come upon them and they would be his witnesses. Every single one of you are enabled to be a minister, to steward the gospel because of the power of God that is on your life by God's Holy Spirit. And so this is what he's talking about in Second Corinthians. A couple of, couple of places. He says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. This is Second Corinthians 4 and verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay or, or fragile things, things that are easily broken. Our, our lives are easily broken. And Paul says the reason for that, the reason why you have the treasure in jars of clay is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Some of you in this room could give testimony of a, a time when you led somebody to Jesus and there, there, there's just no explaining it. <laughs> They just they heard the word of truth and and you didn't have to do any convincing. You didn't have to beg them. They just they came to faith in Jesus and and they were just in pieces. Curtis, I think about your son. This is this is the one that comes to mind whenever we were were able to go to the hospital over there in Panama City. And and Joe is there and and, and I come into the room and and listen, y'all, Curtis has been sharing the gospel with him all his life. And I stand in that hospital room and. And Joe, Joe says, I, I, Curtis asked me to come. I just asked Joe. I said, Joe, you want to you want to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Joe said, yes, I do. And right there he prayed and received Christ because the power of God had changed his heart. I, I remember uh, another uh, member that was a part of our church that um, had had been living the life uh, of, a, of a Christian, at least. Uh, on the outside had been had been uh, walking the, the whole church route and been in church probably a lot of his life and. Um, we began walking through First John on Sunday nights together and what it meant to really be saved and how to know that you're saved. And I remember having an hour-long conversation with this man standing about halfway down right here about how to really know. He said, I, Brother Jeremy, I just, I, I just, how do I really know? Can you help me, help me with something? And it, and it just came down to, man, you, the Spirit of God has got to, has got to bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And we walked out that door and we stood on that front porch and he began to weep. And he said to me, I don't know who I'm fooling. It's not that I'm trying to figure out if I'm actually saved. It's it's I'm trying to talk myself in, out of the reality that I know I'm, I'm going to hell whenever I die. If I were to die tonight, I'd be in hell separated from God. And I said, well, you know, you know what we need to do. And we prayed right there on that front porch. And he trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and living his life for him now. See, the reality is. That when God moves upon someone's heart, it's the power of God, the grace of God that does that. And you give testimony to what God has done and not your witness anyway. I know people who've gotten saved out of, out of the worst Romans Road presentation that you would have ever heard in your life. But you just be faithful to share the gospel and God enables that by his power. So that's the first the first kind of thing that we should understand about grace. Secondly, we are equipped with his message, we are equipped with his message. Paul says the grace was given to him by the power of God to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, of course, when he says the unsearchable riches of Christ, he's describing the gospel yet in another set of terms. 
And it's some terms that we should also be able to say ourselves. Like if you've come to know Jesus, you've come to know the the greatest treasure you could ever know. It's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. The, The well of the grace of God that's offered to you is infinitely deep. And to understand that and know that is a, is a precious thing. It should be precious in our hearts and in our minds as we think about the gospel. But there's, there's so much more wrapped up into what he says. Because he, he's called on to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It's a message that is not just given to the Jews, but a message that ultimately was given to the Jews for the sake of the nations. Do you remember the promise to Abraham? Abraham was given a seed and that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, that seed is Jesus. And Paul is getting the chance by God's grace to now take that message to the whole world. This was always the plan. You could go look through the Old Testament. Isaiah is the clearest picture of it. Isaiah 42 and verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. He's describing his own people, the nations, a light for the nations or some translations put put it Gentiles. We see that statement again in Isaiah 49, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 60. And then it's quoted in Acts chapter 13, verse 47. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Oh, how great a privilege it is to have the message of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold 2,000 plus years ago, and now in our very grasp to be able to take to the world. Do you get this? Do you get this? You have a precious gift, a message of good news, a message of hope. And we have a world around us that is absolutely falling apart. We've got families in this county that are wrecked. We've got drugs that are destroying this county and and families and children and teenagers. And we have the message of greatest hope in all the world. It's, It's a gift. That we would take it and that we would proclaim it. We've been given the message. He's given it to us. And we get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's fun to talk about college football, isn't it? It's fun to talk about our kids, isn't it? It's fun to talk about the things that we're doing in our lives, the vacations that we take and all that, that we enjoy. It's fun to talk about all of these things. But at the end of the day, we have something of infinite worth. And we spend less time talking about that than we spend talking about all of those other things. And it is absolutely mind-blowing. It ought to to just pour from our mouths that we have Jesus and that He saves and that He's able to forgive all of our sin and that He's able to change lives and fix marriages and restore homes and all that is broken and God is redeeming the world. We have the greatest news in all the world. How dare we sit silent? How dare we sit silent? We've been equipped with His message And third, Paul says, we are enlisted in his mission. Similar statement, the end there, verse 9. Similar statement when he says, and to bring light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? We 
We know God through Jesus and God created the world, set it into motion, orders it according to his perfect will. And before he ever did any of that, he chose to save the lost. And so you and I, this side of that decision, you and I are now in the midst of his saving of the lost and we get to be included in the plan. This is an amazing thing that the God of heaven who can accomplish everything on his own from eternity past chose to enlist us into the mission to bring light to everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God? All that God intended to do from the beginning, you and I get to basically take that, the darkness of that, that that the world can't see, not because the plan is dark, but because our minds and our eyes have been spiritually darkened. And you and I get to shine the spotlight on it, light it up like a Christmas tree, so that all the world will know what God has always been doing. We get to be a part of that. I don't know about y'all, y'all are sitting kind of quiet this morning, I don't know about you but that gets me excited that my God who decided to save me now thinks enough of his plan and is doing enough in my life that he would include me and let me help him. That is an amazing thing. And if you don't, if you haven't got that picture in your life, it could be the reason why you don't share your faith. The reason why you haven't shared your faith with your neighbor is because your God is just not the one who is who is this big God that's called you to this. And and you don't get that. But but hear this believer, you get this gospel is there and all you have to do is shine a light on it, light it up. How do we do that? Well, the Bible says that we're salt and light in the world, doesn't it? We do so by our good works. We we live the gospel out. And I've already mentioned that. But you've got to open your mouth and you've got to tell people Jesus saves. Oh, that this room, this room alone, get this. Twelve people out of this room would get in their gut that it is their responsibility now to, to start the church and to go and make the gospel known to everybody in Walton County. Twelve people alone. If you would get in your gut that that is your only task in all of the world, this church would be changed and this county would be changed with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not when we get the right programs or we get the right strategy. It is at the end of the day when God's people decide they're going to be obedient to God's call in their lives. And so it is the mission. We're going to pick that idea up in mission next week. But I just want to say to you, we had... A missions conference this last week and, and you know, there are, there are all kinds of busyness in our schedules and there's people that are in and out of town and I, and I get all of those things. I, I was, I was somewhat disappointed in, in our attendance as far as the, the mission conference goes. I, I was hoping we would have more people and, and sometimes pastors hopes get up and then they come down, come crashing down and, and sometimes it, it's easy to get discouraged. What I was more disappointed in is a comment that I heard from several after. Um, and, and I hope, I hope that this is not the reason. I hope that this is not the reason why, this is not the reason why we would not be involved in missions or giving to missions. And the statement I heard from several was, well, Brother Jeremy, people just aren't interested in missions anymore. People just aren't interested in missionaries anymore. I hope that that is not true. 
Our kids are going to have the opportunity to give to this family. We're going to have the opportunity to do some more with this family. Lord willing, God is going to open up doors for us to go to Peru and to help them. And I hope that in all of our doing and all of our giving and all of our planning, that it cannot be said of us that people at Southwide Baptist Church just aren't interested in missions anymore. Because the the more perplexing reality of that is that we don't understand the stewardship that we have. The gospel that we have. Understand, it is your personal responsibility to know the gospel, to live the gospel, to teach the gospel, and to proclaim the gospel. And may it never be said of us that we are simply not interested anymore as our community and the nations go to hell. May it not be said of us. Memorial Day is a good cause to live for. We have... Soldiers who have given their lives and we should, we should honor those lives and we should be thankful to God for those things. But even more so than that, may our church be a memorial to those who say, I'm going to hold not a country in my heart, but I'm going to hold the gospel in my heart and I'm going to hold fast to it as a sacred trust. A people, this people here, who feel the weight of the grace that has been given to us and who are empowered by that grace to proclaim the gospel to the world. May that be our message and mission. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me all across this room. I don't know where you stand in your relationship with the Lord this morning. Some of you, you say, I'm I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I rejoice in that. I'm thankful that you know God and that you're serving Him and that you're growing in your faith. Those are Those are all good things. Some of you in this room, you'd say, that's not me, Pastor. Today, I don't know Jesus. I don't know the good news that you're describing. My my life is a wreck. I, I know I don't honor the Lord with my life. I've been disobedient to Him. and So what do I do? I'd say to you this morning the same thing I would say to anybody else on the planet. That Jesus Christ was given for the sake of your salvation. That He died the death you deserved. He took God's wrath that was restored for you, reserved for you. He took it on Himself. And He will exchange your ungodliness, your sin for His righteousness today. All of your sin will be forgiven. And God Himself will be your God and you will be a part of His people and for all of eternity you will know God in Christ and you will be forgiven and saved. But it takes you today saying I give all that I am to Jesus Christ. And so in just a few moments we're going to stand across this room and have a time of invitation, a song that is played and that's your moment where when we stand, you step out of where you'll be standing and come down this aisle and say, Pastor, today, today I want to be saved. And that's all it takes. Today we'll lead you in how you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I want to talk to believers in this room as we approach the time of decision. Now I want to just ask you, are you holding the gospel as a sacred trust? Do you understand the grace that has been poured out on your life? And are you being faithful to now be a minister of that gospel? You say, I'm not. I'm not. If you would be honest in this room, you say, I'm, I'm not being a faithful minister of the gospel. I want to do something that we don't 
often do here in this place with nobody looking around. You say, Pastor, I'm not being faithful as a minister of the gospel. I know it. I'm convicted of it. The Lord showed me this morning. And I, and I, I want you to pray for me. Will you just lift your hand across this room? I'm not being a faithful minister of the gospel all across this room. You be honest with me. Nobody's seeing you. This is between you and the Lord. I'm not telling anybody about Jesus. I'm not serving. I, I, need, to, I, I need to be doing more for Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. In just a few moments, I want you to bring that to this altar before the Lord. And you ask the Lord to help you, to empower you in your weakness, in your flesh, that He would do something that is beyond anything you could ever do for the sake of His glory in the nations and among all peoples. And so I'm going to ask you to stand all across the room. Let's stand together and I'm going to pray. If you need Christ this morning, you step out of where you're standing and you come. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in this place. Lord, that you would move in hearts and God, that we would be more diligent and more faithful to the task that you've called us to. And I pray it in Jesus name. Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening. And may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.